you know, in the case of the NBA, our players association or your players association with the WNBA. So there's complete transparency here and no secrets. The goal is not to play in a bubble again. I resisted the concept going in. My my sense is we're, we're probably looking late December, you know, January for when we start our season. But, you know, once we get through our finals, then we'll sit down and really focus on it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stewie's World. I'm Brianna Stewart reporting live from the Wubble. Today, my guests are the commissioners, Adam Silver and Kathy Engelbert. Thank you guys for joining my show. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. In the Wubble with you, uh, Stewie, but in separate locations. (laughs) From the bubble to the Wubble. All in the great state of Florida. I mean, I guess I just want to really jump right in here. Obviously, you know, knowing that we're all in Florida, you guys have kind of done an amazing job to make the the bubble, the wobble happen. When was it where it was like, okay, we're going to have to go into, we're going to have to play in a bubble. You know, I was in Russia in March when the NBA got suspended. And then that's kind of like, for me, that's when everything was like, oh my gosh, this is serious. When the NBA stops playing, then it's like something, something is happening. Adam, we'll start with you. When was it that it was like, okay, to be able to start this again, we're going to have to be in, in a bubble. So Kathy, you'll, you'll, jump in and see whether uh, how accurate I am but <laughs> my recollection is obviously Stuart your point we shut down in mid-March and then Kathy and I were part of a a daily call a zoom call every morning I mean it was initially seven days a week with um, senior NBA and WNBA folks where we were in a in the planning stages and trying to figure out exactly what it was that we were going to do and I don't think it was until May that we concluded that on balance, playing in a campus type environment or, you know, or in a bubble was what was going to make the most sense. We had you know, spent several weeks looking at all the different options, talking to both the NBA Players Association, of course, the WNBA Players Association as well. So it was, a, it was decision made in partnership because we recognized that it would take enormous sacrifice from everyone involved. And so so... Frankly, at least speaking for myself, I, I resisted the notion initially just because we knew how difficult it would be on everybody to do it. And um, but I think by, you know, my sense is early May, we had concluded that we really didn't have much of an option. Yeah. And I'll just chime in. I mean, we had to first think about as soon as the NBA shut down and we started to see the gravity of the situation and we, Adam and I were in New York City, so kind of at ground zero, for lack of a better term. Um, we first had our draft that was scheduled in New York City. We were flying players, or college players from all over to New York City. So we quickly made the decision that we would have to do our first virtual draft on April 17th. So just to put the context, that's a month of, about a month after the NBA shut down and the world shut down thereafter. So, um, you know, so it was that after that virtual draft, we really got to work. And the first question, and I, Adam, I remember vividly coming to you is like, can we, the WNBA, be out of the sports landscape for 20 months? Because that's what would it would have been in a scenario of no season. So we started to look at doing no season, full season. We knew we had this Olympic break. The Olympics hadn't been postponed yet. We were going to break for a month. So, or something in between. And something in between ended up being, you know, we had an 11-game scenario. We had an 16-game scenario and a 22-game scenario where we ended up on the 22-game scenario by the time 
we felt comfortable. But yeah, did did I want a, a wobble? No, um, because part of those scenarios are with or without fans, in arena, not in arena. And obviously, right. I'm blessed to have Adam and, and the NBA who was thinking through at the same time their restart. But ours was a little different because we hadn't even started yet. And there were players overseas. So, and, and we set these principles, Stewie, as you probably know, around health and safety first and then a competitive season second. Um, and that's when we went off and running to design what we ended up with in the Wubble. Yeah. I want to say it's, it's maybe a little more tricky for the WNBA because we hadn't even started anything. I'm not sure. I think they're both kind of tricky in their, in their own ways because, you know, to, to restart a season, to start a season, um, both equally difficult. Looking back now, you know, both of our bubbles are are almost finished. Are you, Kathy, are you surprised by how far we've gotten with these bubbles? And like, what was your biggest concern coming into here? Obviously, I think the biggest concern is probably bursting the bubble, but like getting to this point, what are your thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I am thrilled that we've gotten to this point and that we've been able to maintain the health and safety that we promised you and all the other players at the beginning of this. I you know, I had full confidence if we followed the protocols, if we followed the science, um, that we would get to where we are today. Did I have full confidence that the virus wouldn't spiral out of control and get in somehow into our bubble? I didn't have full confidence in that, but I had full confidence if we followed the protocols. And so I'm thrilled that we're on the verge of the WNBA finals uh, with Seattle. Congratulations, Stewie. We'll tip off this Friday. Um, and I, I just I can't be more pleased with the sacrifice the players and the coaching staff and the staff and all the teams made to make this happen, but also to really follow the science and be patient with following the science because it wasn't always easy, as you know. I'd say it may just be my nature, but I, I was never as confident as <laughs> Kathy was saying as she um, is or was now. And even for us, you know, obviously we haven't even played game one of the finals yet. And so to me, you know, I'm nervous every day. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some differences between our, our two bubbles. I mean, one of the issues we have here in Orlando is that we have an enormous number of people who come through our bubble every day who are not part of the testing protocol. So coaches, players, all the team staff are tested daily, just as you are in Bradenton. But then the essentially the Disney workers are only tested on a voluntary basis. And there have been people who've tested positive, who've been in our bubble. And we knew that going in. And we knew also that one of the big changes from the time in early May, when we decided to play both, both our uh, camp with both our campuses in Florida, Florida had one of the lowest case rates I know. in the country. <laughs> By the time we showed up here, um, it had one of the highest case rates in the country. Obviously not something we predicted. So... Part of the reason we put the protocols in place we did was so that if we did have a positive case, we could contain that player, you know, and then through contact tracing and quarantine, presumably limit the spread. So in many ways, we've done better than I ever would have imagined in both our campuses in that we haven't had a positive test of any of the participants. And so um, I think it just demonstrates in a way that initially, the focus understandably was on testing and the number of tests we would use. And we were very mindful of that and made sure we were additive in terms of testing by bringing in additional testing to the communities. But at essence, the practices that we're following aren't that different than what they did a hundred years ago with the flu. In essence, we're 
were quarantine, quarantine, quarantining people on their way in, you know, to make sure they don't have a lingering infection. And then once they're sort of in our contained campuses, we're ensuring, as you guys know, that people follow pro proper protocols. And a lot of that's just the old fashioned hand washing and ensuring we're using appropriate disinfectants and then ensuring people are socially distant. And mask wearing, with the huge exception, of course, of when you guys are playing. And that's what makes what we're doing in our industry that much more difficult than others, because I think it, it is a model as this virus continues for other businesses, in essence, to, to get back to work. But in most businesses, people can remain socially distant. They can follow all the protocols we are and never have that direct exposure where people are taking, in essence, off their face masks and breathing each other's air. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things that I remember when we first came to, to Bradenton and when we first saw the courts, it was kind of like, you know, we're wearing the mask, we're doing all the things, we're getting tested. And then it's funny because, you know, you see it in the games for, for you guys as well as, you know, our bench, we're socially distanced on the bench. And it's kind of like, but we're sweating on the other team. But, you know, we're doing as much as we can to continue to prevent it. At what point, like... Thinking on just the, the business and the league side of things, at what point do you guys think about 2021? I mean, I know the NBA season is a little different because you guys were supposed to start in October normally, um, and we're, we're a little behind with what's happening. But I mean, I'm sure you're thinking about it already, but the possibility of us you know, having to, to bubble again. And maybe you don't want to tell me that we're, we're going to bubble again, but it has to be on the radar, at least as an option. Well, first of all, there's nothing that we can do without an agreement by, you know, in the case of the NBA, our Players Association or your Players Association with the WNBA. So there's complete transparency here right. and no secrets. Um, the goal is not to play in a bubble again. You know, and again, as, as, as I said earlier, I, I resisted the concept going in. Um, we do know more about what works and doesn't work now. We're obviously watching closely what happens in other sports, you know, we were in a unique situation in the NBA in that we played roughly 80% of our regular season. And we have a much longer regular season, of course, than you do in the WNBA. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that even just from a mental health standpoint, it's not practical or even yeah. essentially possible to spend that many months in an isolated situation. I mean, it's, as we look into next season, and, and I'll say to answer your question directly, when do we start thinking about it? We made sure to, to segregate a portion of the people in our office and say, you go off and just think about next season so that because we knew it was going to be around the corner and we were going to have to constantly be thinking about that and, and learning from what was happening in our own bubbles and from other sports, but then making decisions about next season. And, and I've said this before, certainly our goal for next season in the NBA is to play an 82 game regular season and to have fans in seats. And, and, you know, part of that is dependent on not just the timeline for a vaccine, but antivirals and also the availability of rapid testing. That could be a game changer as well, because, again, what we're demonstrating with our bubbles is that what we're doing is working. I mean, the, the testing is, is only confirmation that it is working, but it's, it's sort of still sort of the same basic tenets of, of social distancing, hand washing, mask wearing, et cetera. And so we know we know how to keep players safe. Then the question is, how do we go about keeping 
our fans safe as well. And so it's it's just an ongoing process. And I know, you know, we, we in the NBA side, you know, we we wouldn't be where we are without um, Michelle Roberts as the executive director of the PA and 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 Chris Paul and his executive committee colleagues. And so we've already begun regular weekly meetings where we're laying out scenarios for next season. And and you know, I my, my sense is we're we're probably looking late December you know, January for when we start our season. But, you know, w- w- once we get through our finals, then we'll sit down and really focus on it. Yeah. And Kathy, I mean, obviously we have a little bit more time than the NBA as far as when 2021 starts, but um, it has to be on the radar as well. And I'm sure you want to start the season similar to when it was supposed to start, you know, normally for, for this next one. Yeah. And, and I'll say um, I've been impressed with and get to sit on Adam's senior leadership team to see the planning on 21, 20 to 21 for them started, you know, basically this summer after, you know, the, the bubble got started. And so we've been thinking a lot about what it might look like. We do have a little more time because typically our season doesn't tip till May, but we have a complicated calendar next year if the Olympics go off. If we want to have an all-star game, which we didn't have this year, which it wasn't scheduled because there was going to be an Olympic break and we want to have an all-star to, you know, celebrate the all-stars of our league, it's important. Um, and a variety of other things we were going to do coming off our collective bargaining agreement earlier this year, like a, you know, a commissioner's cup and, a, a, you know, some special competitions, which I think would really draw fans into the league and more interest in the league. So part of that transformation we've been affecting will be impacted by the calendar and what we're able to do, as Adam says, not just about rapid testing, the affordability of that rapid testing, the availability of that testing, the availability of the vaccine, uh, and then obviously antivirals and everything else. Again, that goes with the science of the virus because what's become clear to us sitting here like on the, in October basically now is the virus is not going away. Um, and so, you know, that's something we, we have to scenario plan around around the ability for us, even though we're a smaller league, you know, we had 1.3 million fans sitting in our seat last year during the season, and we want them ball back and more. And that was part of the, the strategy and the plan. And um, so we, we need to work really hard and, again, to leverage off what the NBA is doing as well as, um, you know, kind of observing what other sports, college sports, uh, will the NCAA get a season in? Can we see our rookie class playing in their last year in college or not? So lo- lots of questions right. out there that we're monitoring and scenario planning around. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, just speaking from seeing what the NBA and the WNBA has been doing, I mean, I think we're we're kind of setting the standard as far as what needs to be done and what works and, and obviously what doesn't. And, you know, you see some of the other sports leagues and they're they're struggling to continue to make sure everybody's safe so you know when I was thinking about the bubble my my thoughts were similar to to Adam's I was like sounds great you know it sounds great but I'm not sure if it's actually gonna work (laughs) and um now next thing you know I'm gonna be playing in the finals again so I'm very happy about that I got something for you how's Connor (laughs) my brother oh my brother's doing good I think that you know one thing for my brother is uh the virtual classes are definitely helping him more than than the in person i guess he should have been homeschooled all his life but he's doing much better with with the virtual classes that's great K- kathy one quick story about her brother connor we were in still you remember this we were in mm-hmm. rio in the airport um after the men's and women usa teams have won their gold medals and we we're all sort of sitting in, in, in the waiting area waiting for our planes and uh, I think I was, I was sitting next to Paul George and Stewie came over to me and said, and, you know, all, there, were, there were a bunch of people, you know, waiting for their flights, too, who were sort of gathered around trying to get the NBA and WNBA players attention. 
uh, the USA teams. And uh, Stewie came up to me and said, hey, Adam, uh, my brother wants to meet you. And I looked, I looked at Paul George sitting there. I was like, hey, you know, I got a fan. <laughs> One, right? One. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely remember that on our, on our way home. He was, he was like, can I, can I meet Adam? And I was like, at this Tell point, him thank you. Tell him I said hello and thank you again. Uh, I definitely will. <laughs> the next thing I'll, I'll talk about is, you know, obviously you guys have done a lot to, to really make this bubble happen and everybody at the league and the executive um, office and everything like that. But Kathy, who do you think in your mind are like the, the unsung heroes to make this bubble really happen? Well, there's a lot of partnership that goes into pulling something like this off, whether it's partnership with the NBA. They are my unsung hero because I don't think we could have done it without them um, yeah. and all the shared resources. And really, it's shared capabilities that because we're so small, the WNBA would not be able to pull off all the advice from the player health and safety. And about like if we have like, you know, an abnormal test or inconclusive test, we've got like three infectious disease experts reviewing it. And you just that's amazing to determine whether we can get a player back to play. So they're the kinds of things. But, you know, clearly my team, uh, the WNBA team, small and mighty, but um, has worked really hard. And but I think the sacrifices you all have made, um, you know, away from your families and friends and um, this is a long time. I mean, if we go to game five of the finals, we'll be here 97 days, Stewie. So um, that's a long time to be away and not be able to be with your family or be, you know, connect with society as a whole. And I do worry about the mental health impact of that on all of us. Um, and, and certainly you guys who, you know, have been grinding it out, playing every other day, you know, because that's what we had to do to get our a competitive season in. So lots of unsung heroes. Um you know, but lots of partnership, IMG Academy, and the ability to really come here, be on a 600-acre campus, and make this work, and, um, you know, has, has been a great part, a partner as well. And, and Stewie, just because you said unsung heroes, there, there's been a bunch that have been talked about a lot, but I'll, I'll mention, I think, four from the MBA standpoint. Um, there's a woman named Kelly Flato who runs our events group. She's been on campus here in Orlando the entire time, sort of overseeing all the event logistics, everything from players requesting, you know, uh, feather pillows, you know, and special meals to dealing with major issues around transportation and arena setups and everything else. So, you know, Kelly's been a true hero down here. There's, there's one of my colleagues at the league office named uh, David Weiss, who's overseen all the medical protocol. I, you know, we, we only half jokingly are referring to him as Dr. Weiss in our office, even though he's a lawyer by training, he's from a family of doctors and he developed over the past, you know, now seven months or so, a real expertise around coronaviruses, around COVID-19, around all the testing protocols. And so, uh, you know, we wouldn't have been able to stand up this bubble without him. And then just two more, um, a, a world-renowned epidemiologist named uh, David Ho, who I met when I first came to the NBA in the early 90s. He was um, e an expert on HIV and AIDS, and he was someone that, that I had personally been in touch with over these many years, and then ran into in January, when no one in the U.S. was really talking about um, the coronavirus at all. And he and I actually ran into each other at a Brooklyn Nets game. And, you know, I was saying, what do you think? Because we have, Stewie, as you know, our, our China offices and, and we were beginning to shut down there. 
And, you know, he, he said, well, you know, we're seeing some bad indicators. And then so he's led our team of experts, um, it, you know, in, in terms of overall protocol. And he's done the same for the WNBA as well. And then just lastly, purely from an NBA standpoint, Dr. Dr. Leroy Sims, who um, has been on site virtually the entire time here in Orlando overseeing our medical care. So, you know, just four people that aren't probably going to get the the credit they deserve publicly. But, um, you know, and and then to to Kathy's point, I mean, literally thousands of people made these bubbles possible. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, the people that I think of are the testers and the medical staff that are on site, just the ones that I see every day. But like those testers every day, the um, the nasal and the throat swab, you know, they they're they're down there for 12 hours, you know, just making sure we all get tested and we're all taken care of. And and Adam Stewie's been so great. She gave them she gifted them all sneakers. Right. They were yeah. so thrilled when, you know, because oftentimes if you're a covid tester and my sister's one back up in Pennsylvania and you don't get treated like like I think some of our players have really stepped up, treat made them uh, special, specialized masks and everything like that. <laughs> and And testers are risking their own health as well, obviously, because. By definition, people exposing themselves mm-hmm. to them who might have the virus. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, you know, when I think of this bubble, uh, I don't think that the bubble would happen if we didn't have testers and, and the medical staff. And um, yeah, I got them some some vapor maxes just to make them a little bit more comfortable while they're, you know, <laughs> on their feet all day. But Adam, I think you have to drop off. Thank you very much for for coming on. Kathy and I will continue for a little bit longer and good luck during the rest of the bubble and I'll see you on TV. Yeah, and and Stewie, um, congratulations on a fantastic season so far and uh, good luck. I know it starts uh, Friday night, so uh, have a great finals. Thank you. And to you too, Kathy, good luck. Yes, thanks, Adam. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Coming into 2020, I felt like as, you know, women, especially women in sports, women in leadership, we were like on a high, you know, we were riding the wave to kind of continue to get um, the recognition that we deserved. And then, you know, coming off the new CBA and the possibility of if we were going to play, if we weren't going to play, we kind of lost a little momentum. But I think, you know, coming here, doing what we do in the bubble, I think we gained it back. And how much do you think that the TV deals, you know, having all the games on ESPN, the the idea that, you know, people at home have nothing to do but watch us play, how much do you think that helped us? You know, because obviously it, it hurt us a little bit when we weren't able to play and have our fans normally. But I also feel like there's a lot more people tuned in that might otherwise not be. Yeah, so it's a it's a fabulous question to kind of look back and think through. We were supposed to tip in May. We didn't tip till towards the end of July. Um, you know, we had a shortened training camp, a shortened season. We didn't have fans in seats. And again, we had 1.3 million last year in, in seats, which is impressive for a size and scale of our league. So I think what is important to think through, I think we have enormous momentum. I think the strong social justice platforms you have all shown up with, that was part of the non-negotiables for the season. So when yeah. we started, it was health and safety and competitive play. And then obviously after the George Floyd situation, and you guys had always advocated, I think, for strong platforms, but we added that as a real core to why we were going to play basketball this year and women's basketball this summer. So um, so I, I think it's been, um, I, I would say, um, 
great to have a lot of attention and momentum on this diverse female sports league. I think um, not having the NCAA, not coming off this strong NCAA season, that probably would have happened if, if there was a Final Four this year, probably you know had a dip in momentum. I think our draft kind of brought that back. And then because it was a strong rookie class and some great stories coming out of that. Um, and then I, I cannot be more pleased with the level of competition this season, because honestly, I wasn't sure after you all didn't get your full overseas play. And, mm-hmm. you know, some players never went back after uh, the, the Christmas break and thinking of, you know, almost six months out of the game and what how quickly we would get back to the level of play. And while maybe the first week or two, everybody was settling into both practice training camp and then ultimately tipping off the season July 25th, I cannot be more proud of the, the quality of the play on the court and how that has just the intensity it ratcheted up from day one almost because you knew 22 games, you had to be a leader to, to end up where you are, obviously as a number two seed and now in the WNBA finals. So, um, so but I think the broader story will, that off of this season will be, had we not played it, the momentum that would have been lost now we played it, and and guess what? You are viewed as a leader in sports, not just yeah. women's sports, in sports, because you were able to come here, play at a high level, um, have essentially an MVP season, um, and and you know you know ultimately will crown a champion. So, so I people don't write about what could have happened had you not played, but I think the momentum would we would have lost for us a league our size and scale would have been very tough to recover from. We certainly will be as optimistic about the transformation of the league around marketing and the ability to sell this league for the future, for when we can have fans back and we can draw draw in a broader fan base. Because as you know, Stewie, that was part of the strategy last year when I came in as commissioner. And yes, has that taken a bit of a hit? And I'd say a delay? Yes, there's no doubt. I would be feeling really good about you know being almost a little over a year into a transformation. And now I'll say we lost a few months, um, but we're going to pick it up very quickly once we come off crowning a champion this year. Yeah. I mean, I think that we kind of rolled with the punches. You know, I think that there was a lot of, of times where it could have been like, you know what, we can't do it. You know, there was a lot of times where we could have like had a, an easy way out. I mean, a lot of people, Stewie, thought there's no way the WNBA during a global pandemic with the social justice they're not going to be able to do this. We, as you know, we always have a lot of naysayers, but that's why I'm so proud that you guys have put such a great quality product on the court and a competitive season and had such a strong voice in everything that happened this summer. Because remember back in April and May, we had no idea what we would then be faced with and the resilience you would all have to show, which is why when you paused and didn't play for those two days and took that moment of reflection and what was so much more powerful because nobody expected that we, the little WNBA in the scheme of big live men's sports actually could pull this off. Yeah. And I mean, just, just speaking from a player standpoint, like I'm extremely proud of, you know, what we've done off, off and on the court. You know, the fact that we were able to really use our voices, um, take advantage of, you know, what we were doing on the court and, and flip it to, to kind of amplify the message. And I think, you know, the day of reflection, dedicating the season to Brianna Taylor, you know, I think that if I was to look back at it now, I'm like, wow, we did so much, you know, even if it was the t-shirts that we walked into the game with, the stuff like that, you know, we organized a lot and we really sent 
the message to to the rest of the world that, you know, we're here as the best basketball players in the world, and we're also here as the best humans in the world. Yeah, and I I wish others could have seen that candlelight vigil that night with an entire league in one place having just paused which took a lot of courage, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have to be honest that I think it was the right decision like earlier that day to do and follow what the NBA did with the Milwaukee Bucks. And so there were a lot of emotions, as you know, it was very raw because you were here, but to pull that candlelight vigil after the pause in playing together with an entire league in one place. And the next day to have your leadership of the players association and Holly over at the courts talking in a round table format with every player on every team together at the, at the practice courts was, was pretty amazing. And, and I think, um, you know, when we look back, as you said, um, there, there was a lot there and a lot of emotion and, and again, to be here sitting here on the, um, you know, kind of the eve of, of, you know, now what we're going to do next season, I think we're coming, we built such a strong foundation and hopefully you all, grew together to uh, a little bit while you were here sacrificing away from friends and family. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that the league is probably closer than it's ever been as far as players. You know, we're never all here in one city. You know, we never have 144 players all together, you know, able to have a vigil, have a players only meeting, um, go and and take those pictures with um, the Brianna Taylor shirts like we were able to do a lot of powerful stuff. And I think that, you know, built a lot of respect for one another beyond what we do on the basketball court. So I guess, you know, just going into into what we've been talking about, you know, a lot of people were talking about before the season is the 2020 season going to have like an asterisk next to it because we're going into a bubble or is it going to have a gold star? If you could choose one of those for the 2020 season, what what are you going to choose? I don't know how I can't be a gold star with everything you were faced with. I mean, just think about 2020 and Kobe Bryant and his young girl basketball players and David Stern dying on the first day of this year who founded the league, launched the league with Adam back in, in the 90s and and then the, the pandemic and social justice. And I mean, this is a huge gold star. I mean, to play 22 games, competitive basketball, um, to have it come down to the last weekend on seeding, on teams getting in big gold star, no matter what happens, you know, from here on in. And I think, again, to be, you know, to to do a with or without what would have happened. I mean, that's, there's no doubt. There's no asterisk here for anybody who won any award or or wins the championship, because this was a highly competitive season um, where everybody had to play everybody twice. We had our very competitive first two rounds of playoffs, now the semifinals. So no, no, no asterisk in my mind, big gold star for all around. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think that, you know, definitely needs a gold star. I think that, you know, when we're on the court, it's it's hard to not compete. You know, it's hard to not, you know, want to be at 100. Um, I think that's just our instinct to to play is when we play, we want to be at our best. But to do that with all the other things going around that were kind of out of our control makes it even more impressive. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I mean, 2020 is going to be a a historic season when we look back on it. (sighs) Ten years from now, maybe when I'm about to retire, um, (laughs) we're going to be like, whoa, we we made it through 2020. How did we do it? Yeah, Yeah. we're all going to be saying, I don't understand how we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, But now we made it here. 
as a whole, right, as our league, you know, what we've done, we've we've now set the standard very, very high for ourselves. How can we continue to to make this league flourish? How can we continue to be better? Obviously, I know, you know, from my side of things, continuing to to kind of push us out there, continuing to talk about the league, obviously talk about the, the messages that, that we're about, but also to, to have that voice, you need to, to kind of back it up on the court. And how do you think we can continue to, to kind of make our league better and make our league more special for, for those, you know, coming behind me? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I got a, an email from someone today who said, like, congratulations on the season. And what you don't know is the millions of people you've impacted by doing what you did with these female role models, diverse league, all that. And and that's all great. But what this will come down to, Stewie, for the future of this league is, is uh, a call to action around how how you are valued, how our assets are valued, how people support, how we're looking for companies to support us and, and the athletes who share our values and how important it is to get the valuation model for women's sports, not just the WNBA and women's basketball right. It is broken. It is one thing when I came into the league last year, I had no visibility to in my prior business life. And I came in and I said, what, like less than 1% of all sponsorship dollars that go to sports go to women and less than 5% of all media coverage of sports goes to women's sports. So, so again, you know, this is our challenge and it, now we have this great opportunity and I thought we had it last year, but this year I feel it even more strongly to have a call to action two companies who want to support diverse women and diverse women leaders. Because now what shifted this year is you weren't just basketball players. You were leaders. And I mean, you, you always were, but it wasn't recognized as much. And now how do you value that? Let's not take the male model for valuation of a patch or a court placement or media impression and apply it to female sports. There's got to be different valuation models that drive a different narrative that can bring in a broader set of revenue to the league. And so players can get paid more. You can get more benefits. We can have a sustainable for 10, 20 year model rather than kind of just transforming over the next 18 months to three years, which is kind of my goal as commissioner that I was charged with by Adam. uh, And now the ownership group has transformed this league. So we have a sustainable league for the future, but it comes down to how women's sports are valued and there is a flaw in the model today that I'm going to do everything I can to try to fix um, and uh, and just take a look at, um, you know, how that value is ascribed, how that value is built, uh, how it's discounted off the male model, and just really start pointing that out because, you know, we don't have a basketball problem for in women, and we don't have a, even a women's sports problem. We have a, a how it's valued right. to um, the ultimate consumer of our game and the broader societal game that we're all playing as well as we obviously have these strong voices in our game. So so that's what we really need to turn around. It's not it's like pushing a big boulder up the hill and we're like three quarters up the hill after this season, but we've got to get it to the top. And I think once we do um, get really and it's gonna it's really hard stuff to get done once we do and people see the value of the WNBA and the play and its players, I, I think the sky is going to be the limit. And I look forward to the day that we say, wow, how hard was that? But look, now we're yeah. thriving and we all feel like we're leaving for the next generation of players and young girls playing basketball today that we're giving them uh, these role models and a future vision of something that can work. And again, next year, 
25th anniversary of this league. No women's professional sports league has lasted this long in the United States. So we've got this, this moment to, to capitalize on, but we're not going to capitalize on it unless we get fine companies who match our values and who value us for, in a different way than the traditional metrics. So, you know, that's my, that's my, uh, my goal, um, you know, is transformation of that element. And that's going to be really hard. It's not going to be easy to convince everybody the values there, but we're off to a really good start this year with that. Yeah. I mean, we need, we need society to get behind women and get behind the WNBA. And, and that's pretty simple. Uh, Kathy, thank you so much for, for coming on my show. Uh, really appreciate it. Obviously, thank you for everything you've been able to, to help us do in the bubble and beyond. And I'll, I'll be seeing you around the bubble for sure. And <laughs> for the next two weeks or so, but, um, again, congratulations on a great season, especially coming off injury. Your resilience has been amazing and, you know, look forward to Seattle, um, you know, in, in the playoffs here, uh, continuing on and, We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you around the wobble <laughs> on the elevator, any, anywhere. You'd never know where you're going to run into me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much, really. All right. Thank you so much. Good luck. Take care. Before I wrap this week's episode, I kind of wanted to address the elephant in the room a little bit, the inconclusive tests that we had that ultimately postponed our game one. Just giving you guys a little insight from my point of view, there's there's always a possibility that, that a test can come, come back inconclusive or can be a uh, false positive. And, you know, especially being in the bubble, that's, that's nothing you want to play around with because, you know, our safety is within this bubble and we don't want to burst that bubble. So when we were aware that, you know, we had multiple people on on my team who had inconclusive tests. It was very concerning for us. We didn't find out until literally when we were on the bus about to go over to the arena. Um, and right away, it just sent, you know, a lot of mixed emotions into our mind. The fact that, you know, we didn't know if this was an actual false positive or if this should be something we're more concerned about because it was so many of us. And then it was like, you know, if we play this game, is there a possibility that, you know, it can be spread to other people because we didn't know if the virus was real or fake at this point. But ultimately, Kathy was able to to kind of come on the bus. She explained it to us, you know, what was happening. And then we talked a little bit as a team. And when we got to the arena, we still went to the arena to kind of figure out what we wanted to do um, because, I think for us as players, the easy thing would have been for us to play because we were already ready to play. You know, my hair was done. I had my jersey, had everything like mindset was ready to to play that game. But it would have been selfish for us to play because we didn't know if this was something real or fake. And Kathy came on the bus and told us that the game was postponed, which was a relief for us because the coronavirus obviously is, is nothing that that anybody wants to play around with. It's not something that we should be jeopardizing other people's health and safety for. That's that's basically the the short story of what went on that Sunday. And yeah, you know, it was it was an emotional 48 hours because we just continued to to kind of just wait and wait and be aware of what was happening with our teammates, with our team, with the whole the rest of the season. You know, we're just thinking we got this far and now we're 
were not able to play game one. And I think it was it was mentally challenging for, for all of us. I'm extremely proud of my team, the fact that we were able to come show up game one, all 12 players healthy, ready to go. And we were able to still sweep Minnesota. You know, we were able to go 3-0 in the series, even after, you know, how our week started. Uh, we continue to to kind of adjust and adapt. And I think that is just a huge credit to to my team. You know, we've been hit with a lot of different punches this season. And we continue to adapt and adjust on the fly and show up big when we need to. And now we're going to the finals. I can't wait. I'm back in the finals. Well, that's a wrap from Stewie's World. Thank you to my guests, Adam and Kathy. For the fans out there, subscribe to the Uninterrupted YouTube channel for more episodes. For audio podcast listeners, subscribe to Stewie's World feed wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brianna Stewart, and stay tuned for more Inside the Wubble on Stewie's World. Get involved. Contact Attorney General Daniel Cameron and demand justice for Breonna Taylor. This message is brought to you by Brianna Stewart, Uninterrupted, and a generation on the right side of history.